This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics and research in human resources, steeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh brewed ideas on how to drive high-performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University. Hi, everyone. Welcome to HRT. I'm Bethany Adams. I love HRT, but truth be told, I will always be a coffee drinker. On today's episode, Larry, our host for season four, sat down with Keith Black. Keith is an adjunct professor in the Villanova HRD program with many years of experience in law and labor relations. He currently runs his own business, Employment Practices Outsourcing. In this episode, Keith and Larry tackle the great resignation, and Keith shares insights on how he has seen some employees prioritize what is important in an employer that they are considering as they think about changing jobs. Time to grab your tea or coffee and get ready for today's episode. Larry, take it away. I'm very pleased to have Keith Black here today. He's started his own business at this point in time. Welcome, Keith. Would you like to say a word about that? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Larry. It's a pleasure. Always nice talking to you. You know, my background has started off as a traditional labor and employment lawyer in California with Littler and uh, moved back to Philly, went in-house at AstraZeneca, and then kind of embarked on a series of HR leadership roles in a number of organizations and industries trying to align their HR functions and best practices with the strategic operations of the business. And as you mentioned, the last couple of years, I've been on my own with employment practices outsourcing, and we're really focused on um, kind of that intersection of law and HR. So we bring a practical approach to HR, building respectful workplace environments, within a compliant legal atmosphere. It's it's a wide variety of things, but um, we try to focus on that. Like I said, that kind of intersection of, of where HR meets legal, which is, as you know, almost everything. Good. Uh, so I, let's start where I've started most of the rest of the conversations with the big quit or the, the big resignation. And actually, I saw something added to it, which was close to home for me, the big retirement. What's your take on why is it that you know, the big quit came about. Is it just a fad or is it, is this going to be a, a trend going forward? Where, where are these people going anyway? They're not sitting at home on the couch. So what, what's your take on that? As you mentioned, I'm, I'm on faculty with HRD and we were just talking this week in foundations of strategic HR management about this issue. And I mentioned that I, you know, I don't like the great resignation term. I, you know, I don't know what the right term is, if it has to have a term at all, but I think more like the great realization is more appropriate mm-hmm. because I think it's really a function of people understanding now that they don't have to accept the status quo. They don't have to accept what they're used to, what we've all been used to, what my generation and the generation before it just came to accept as this is the way it is. And what caused it? You know, I think it was a confluence of a lot of different factors. And clearly COVID was, I think, the main driver because it put us all in a position that we would have never been put in, that we can work remotely for two years. Um, you know, prior to that, we were still getting pushback. Every organization I was ever in where I suggested, let's try to do more of a hybrid or remote. No, no, no. You know, if you're not working in the office, you're not working. 
so I think that was kind of the large driver. And then you've got generational issues. You, we read a lot about millennials and Generation Z and, and how they're more, more vocal about what they want and not accepting necessarily what's given to them. I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now, which plays into it. And, and there's just so many different factors that, that make people really question the, the status quo and you know your question of where are they going that's I have no idea because <laughs> you know, uh, unemployment's not really that high but everybody is searching for people to work so where are they I think one place is um, alternative roles you know the gig economy or just picking up their own type of employment that wouldn't have been available in years past because of technology they can do things now um, people are just being very creative and doing different things and I think making do with less in a lot of cases as well but your point is exactly right that it's probably you know if not the biggest challenge facing our HR functions right now certainly one of the top three and that's attraction and retention of talent I mean when do you see McDonald's offering large signing bonuses that's unheard of you know companies raising their minimum wages for retail to 15 to 20 dollars an hour just to attract people and it's still not working I think there's also a, a mental wellness component of it too. Um, you know, this has been such a tough time for everybody. And I think especially younger people starting out in the workforce during this had a really hard time. I, mean, I was talking to a, actually a, a classmate of mine from Villanova Law the other day. We were catching up after a long time. And he said, could you imagine if we would have graduated and then immediately been thrust into a, a law firm where we didn't actually meet anybody for two years and we just talked to them by computer, it would have been, it would have been a completely different experience. And I, I just read something where there was talking about millennials or people under 25. Um, and they talked about feelings of exclusion and confusion and little to no office camaraderie. And 25% of those people that they spoke to indicated a will, an interest in just quitting, stopping. So I think the mental wellness and mental well-being is a big part of it too. It's just this kind of rudderless feeling right now um, that a lot of people have. And what, what gets me is we're seeing now, and we've been seeing for a while now, people who accept a job, start working, work for a company, and then leave to go to another job and never met anyone in person that entire time. It's got to have an impact on retention for sure. You know, when you're not feeling engaged, when you're not feeling connected. I was just reading one of the articles. It was talking about job satisfaction is now an oxymoron or you know, a, a paradox of some kind that, that there seems to be a real anti-work movement out there that it has to do with working conditions and, and other things like that where not coming in. What can HR do about it? What, what's HR's role in trying to overcome some of that? Well, it's a tough job to try to create an established culture in a remote setting. There's this debate. A lot of companies are saying, oh, you know, our culture is not suffering. We're, we still have a great workplace culture, even though we're all remote. And I'm just not buying it uh, because you need that human touch. You need that personal interaction to, to build the bonds that you, that you build in the workplace that create these relationships. And HR's role is to try to find some way to do that, whether it's individual contact with employees, checking in on them, trying to build engagement through other ways. We all hear about these virtual happy hours, which I've 
personally think are kind of silly because you have <laughs> 18 people on a screen all holding a glass of wine looking at each other it kind of defeats the whole purpose of, of a happy hour which is to mingle and talk to people but I, I appreciate that that people are making an effort you know they're trying to do something and maybe we're we're getting a little bit more of a return to normalcy now I hope but I'm really concerned long term for what this is going to mean to Mm-hmm. The workplace culture. Yeah, I have been reading just recently where uh, there are some return to office questions. Now, instead of 100% remote, companies are now attempting to try and get their employees back into the office in some ways. And I think I saw um, it was a Microsoft uh, survey, but it was published by Sherm that said, Actually, two-thirds of the people surveyed were interested in face-to-face, at least some mm-hmm. uh, face-to-face rather than 100%. They preferred the flexibility of remote work, but they right. also desired to have some of the face-to-face contact. Hybrid may be a long-term trend, but I don't think it's going away. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think hybrid's here to stay. You know, It's funny to kind of watch the shift when it started remote you know, 100% remote for a lot of people. Um, for the majority of people who did, I think they absolutely loved it at first because it was all of a sudden, wow, I can stay home in my pajamas and never leave my house and do my job. And it was it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I think that wears on people over time. And to your point and what we've just been talking about, about the lack of camaraderie and the lack of human interaction, I think people now are shifting a little bit towards yeah, it wouldn't be so bad to be there once in a while. I don't want to go back five days a week. I don't want that nine to five grind, but I would like to still be a part of something and see people once in a while. And and that's why I think that the future is likely to be hybrid. And every company is going to do it a little differently, but I think to some extent, you're going to see a return to the workplace in some form or another. Now, they're designing these workspaces differently. They're not the old office cubicle settings. They're more of hotel space and opportunities for people to collaborate. But I think they're clearly seeing that there is definitely going to be a return. I think we're going to see a hybrid that's probably here to stay. You mentioned earlier wellness, and now you've introduced the big quit or the big resignation really wasn't equally distributed across blue collar, white collar, or industry to industry. You know, there was quite a bit more in hospitality, food service, recreation. Absolutely. And um, I think we've got to spend a lot more time thinking about mental health. Anybody who's who's followed any of the things I've been writing on LinkedIn over the last couple of years, it's been heavy on mental health issues. And, and I think, you know, the pandemic has, has just exacerbated that in, in the area of HR that we need to focus on we all talk about benefits and you know offering great benefits, but it's usually health benefits and not so much the mental health side of it. And there's still a stigma attached to that, but we need more than ever now to focus on making sure we're taking care of our people, making sure that we have the mental health pieces in place and support that people are really getting the care they need because it's, it's really hard out there for a lot of people. Yeah. So is this more than your traditional EAP? Uh, you know- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about what kind of initiatives might be effective, might be useful? Yeah, I mean, some organizations that I've seen recently are are actually offering mental health programs to their employees, you know, obviously Mm. uh, very confidentially like anything else, but making available to them more than an EAP, um, you know, saying, you know, we've contracted with 
X agency or whatever and reach out to them, whatever you need, any kind of support you need, one-on-one therapist support, um, talking to somebody on a hotline, they're providing it. I think that's a tremendous step to really mm-hmm. care for their employees. And a key role for managers as well to be able to identify the, the people that are in need and to make sure that they're aware of the resources. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And that's more more important than ever now because we kind of have the out of sight, out of mind effect. If you work for me and you sit across the hall from me and I can oh, kind of observe you every day, I can see how you're doing to some extent. When you're home and I'm home, we lose that. So I always encourage managers please make that extra effort to just check in on your people. Just give them a call. Just ask how they're doing. Ask if everything's all right, if they need anything. That is such an important step to take. So let me shift gears a little bit. We've been talking in general about working conditions. What do you make of the more recent union organization attempts at Amazon and at Starbucks, for instance? And is that a, is that a, product of the pandemic or this general trend that we've been identifying? It's a really fascinating question. <laughs> As you know, Larry, I mean, labor movement is is at its about lowest in terms of overall numbers and percentages of members throughout the United States. It's been on a slow and steady decline since its peak in the 50s when you know basically one out of every three employees in the U.S. was in a union. That's under 10% now. And probably mm. under 7% if you take the government out. So it's it was kind of interesting to me to see this kind of revival. I did notice it first several years ago, kind of creeping into the digital journalism space. So the online news agencies uh, were starting to organize. And you have, of course, you got the LA Times a few years ago that organized its journalists for the first time in their history. And then after that, you started to see kind of the unofficial union at Google and then the Amazon attempt and then Starbucks. And so the question is why? Obviously more aggressive marketing, so to speak, or or activity from from the labor movement. You've got a president in the White House now who has openly said he's going to be the most union-friendly president we've ever had. You've got uncertainty, which always spawns, you know, people looking for help somewhere else, job uh, uncertainty, career uncertainty, whatever it might be. You've got employees now who are looking for everything they want. We talked about that a little earlier. You know, they're not mm-hmm. settling for what, what there was in the past. And maybe the idea that if we're not being treated the way we should be, we need someone to help us. And that's what I always preach, that if you treat people the right way, if you pay fairly, you give good benefits, you create a respectful workplace environment, you show empathy, you communicate with honesty, you're not going to get organized. It's when you don't do those things that people are going to feel that they need someone else to help them. And that's when they'll reach out to a union. And if the unions are getting more aggressive, as they have clearly been in trying to convince people that they can help them, then you kind of get the perfect storm. So I think all of this and the pandemic has created the greatest uncertainty we've had. So I think all of those things kind of combine. And it's fascinating to look at the Starbucks situation I think they're up to over 100 stores now across the U.S. have had organizing petitions, you know, started with the three stores in Buffalo. They're now over 100. So that's kind of a fascinating thing to watch. And, you know, not to get into a technical labor discussion today, but the interesting tactic there was that Starbucks was trying to 
make the legal argument that it's not appropriate to do a store by store organizing. It should be based on a district or a market because it's more appropriate as a bargaining unit. And so far that's been unsuccessful. So it'll mm -hmm. be interesting because if they can try to pick off individual stores one at a time, you know, they could be doing this for a long time. Other um, retailers or restaurants could see that success and unions could follow there. So I don't know, time will tell with that one, but it's an interesting resurgence of, of labor. And of course, you've clearly got a, a much more labor-friendly National Labor Relations Board with a Democrat in the White House. Um, that is always driven by the party in the White House because that gives it the majority of three to two. So right now it's a three to two Democratic majority, which you know makes it more labor-friendly. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So uh, it's a combination of things. It's not completely driven by pandemic. Since we've dipped our toe into the water of uh, politics here, what do you make of the whole idea from the perspective of employee wellness and the requirement that employers provide a safe workplace? What do you make of the idea of vaccine mandates and the fact that SCOTUS just knocked that down. Once again, from a HR perspective, you know, what, what's HR's role in, in working with organizations, guiding organizations through that maze? Yeah, this has been the ultimate roller coaster ride for HR leaders. We're on, we're off, we're on, we're off. Um, we have to do it, we don't have to do it. Um, and it's, I think it's caused a lot of people to either go gray or pull their hair out. Um, <laughs> trying to stay on top of things because, you know, for before the, the mandate, which was actually, you know, OSHA putting that out as an emergency right. temporary standard for employers, right. hundred or more employees uh, before that employers were on their own to try to decide, do we want to require a vaccine? Do we want to require, you know, testing, whatever it might be. Um, I think there was a big sigh of relief in some circles when OSHA put that standard out because now the decision wasn't theirs anymore. They had to do it. It also created an incredible amount of heartache for HR because it often fell on HR to administer all of this, um, tracking people who got their vaccinations, dealing with people who said they had a religious or, or medical exemption requirement, tracking them all down, making sure that it all got done, keeping records of it all. That became you know, a full-time job for a lot of HR people that you know three months earlier had never expected that that would be part of their already packed day. So then when that was challenged and when the Supreme Court said, we're, we're putting a stay on this and sending it back to the Sixth Circuit for you know further review of the merits, all of a sudden it threw everything into kind of a, another mess again. Well, now what do we do? Employers were still permitted to follow it if they wanted to. They didn't have to stop. Uh, other employees were, were permitted to put their own into place. And I think um, Gartner did a poll shortly after that Supreme Court decision, and 47% of the employers that they spoke with had already implemented or were about to implement their own vaccine requirements anyway. Mm. So, and then recently we've been seeing, you know, a lot of major, major employers pulling back and rescinding the vaccine ma mandates. So, it's kind of been, like I said, a, the ultimate roller coaster ride. And in terms of where's HR's role in this, we have an obligation to make sure that we have safe workplaces for our employees. Right. What does that mean? It's different everywhere. It's different in a hospital where you have 
COVID wings. You know, it's different in a factory, it's different in an office setting. Um, and I think employers just have to use common sense and be reasonable. But from the HR perspective, I think it's just a, a case-by-case basis of deciding what's reasonable to make sure our employees feel safe. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough role. I felt for you know, the HR department here at Villanova, and I thought they did a good job of exactly just what you described is being able to put out reasonable policies. Right. Yeah. I think they did a good job too. As speaking as an employee from my experience, uh, I think Villanova did a good job handling it. One other thing I just wanted to add on that. Um, yeah. Ties into our, what we were talking about earlier with the challenge of attraction and retention. When the mandate was in effect, and I mentioned a lot of employers kind of breathed a sigh of relief in some regards, part of it was because they were now on equal footing with everyone else. You know, we had a time there where if my company is going to require vaccines and your company's not, I might be at risk of losing people to you, right? Either new Mm -hmm. hires or people might just jump ship because they didn't want the vaccine. They didn't want to wear masks. So they were going to go work for you. When that mandate came out, it kind of put everybody on equal footing and there was no difference. Everybody had to do it. When it went away, we're back to now employers being in a position of having to consider the impact of their decisions on retention and attraction. And that's a very real consideration that leaders and organizations have to make right now. All right. I think we've covered a lot of ground here. I want to look into the crystal ball a little bit and get you to uh, maybe predict what you think the, the future of work might look like. Wow. The only job that you can predict with certainty and, and not care if you're wrong is being a weather person. So um, <laughs> right, exactly. I can't, I can't blame the computer models if I get it wrong, but I think we're going to get, you know, a, a normalization in a, in a few months after this, hopefully if we don't get any more variants or anything like that, we're going to start seeing kind of a return. We're seeing it in, in outside of work life, you know, flight capacities up like 80%. I saw attendance at NBA games was like 97% movie theaters are coming back. So we're starting to see it everywhere, except people don't want to go back to work. So uh, I think we're going to start seeing that. I think like we talked about earlier, the hybrid's going to take over. Uh, companies are going to have some growing pains trying to deal with scheduling issues, making sure that there's coverage, making sure that even if it's hybrid, they allow people to to choose when they come in, but they also schedule it so that you know if they need to have all hands meetings or department meetings, that there's some rules around it, some controls in place. But I think you know we're going to be much more sensitive to what employees want and what candidates want and make sure that we're being competitive because that the battle for talent is going to rage for a while, I think. And if you can't keep up, you're going to lose out. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, thank you very much for sharing your perspectives on this and particularly uh, in your labor and law background. I very much value your viewpoint on that. I appreciate you having me on, Larry. And, and thanks also for being a panelist in our HR Level Up. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Larry and Keith. I love that Keith called the great resignation, the great realization. Isn't that the truth? Through COVID, we have all collectively realized what is important and what we want from the organization 
questions we are a part of. Now it's time for organizations to adapt to those values and those priorities. All right, everyone, that's a wrap of another great episode. And you know what time it is. Whatever you're drinking, coffee, tea, or something a little bit stronger, I hope it leads you to fresh fruit ideas that will help make work better for all of us. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode, Steve, share with us what you are brewing using the hashtag VillanovaHRT. That's hashtag VillanovaHRTEA. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD. To learn more about the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University, and for all the links and notes from today's episode, visit the Villanova HRD blog at VillanovaHRD.com.